Welcome to the Awake Church podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Good morning, everybody. I'm going to pull up my phone because I forgot to print my notes, so I'm going to have to keep pulling the phone back up. So, <laughs> um, so like we were talking about, my name is Kristen Carmichael, and um, I am here to talk about culture because of several reasons. Um, I do have four kids. They are from senior in high school is my youngest, all the way up through I have a 23-year-old, two of my kids are married, one in college, one in high school. So we run into all kinds of interesting conversations, of course. Um, and I also work in schools and often with the high school, middle and high schoolers. So there's a lot that comes up in conversation that we need to have biblical answers for. Um, I did not feel super prepared for that. And I'll tell you about that in just a minute. So I did do the Colson Fellows program last year. It's, it's a, actually a 10-month program, pretty intensive, um, and it covers all kinds of stuff. So I'm actually just here today to share a little tiny piece of some of the things that I learned. And if at the end anybody's interested in like doing more, I'm always happy to share. You can set up meetings, we can do whatever. Because this is really here just to kind of whet your appetite to, to learn a little bit more about some different things. Um, so I wanted to go, I'll just put the first slide up here. Um, we are we're calling this why understanding culture matters to Christians. Um, you could almost call this like what's supposed to be normal and what do you think is normal because that's really kind of what this is about. Um, but let me talk to you about how I got into this in the first place, besides just obviously my kids and things like that. Um, not that one, the one right before. There we go. Um, so I was, um, I was raised as a pastor's daughter. Um, I've always been in the church. I have always believed in what the, the, the Bible teaches us. I have always been a good girl, basically. <laughs> I was never the rebel, um, but I, and I've, I've always believed everything that I was taught. Um, I've always been in the spirit-filled church, always been in the charismatic circles and that sort of thing too. Um, I did get married, I do have kids, and I'm an educator like we were talking about. So, like the slide says, I kind of have become fairly smug about my life actually. I'm kind of like, I know all this stuff, I don't really need to like interact with the, the rest of the world very much. I know what I believe about all these things, I like my bubble. <laughs> That's kind of how I've been most of my life. Um, and then 2020 happened, and as all of you guys know, um, all kinds of things happened to, to rock everybody's world during that time. For me, obviously COVID did, did a lot of stuff. Um, but for me, what actually happened was um, I got into interesting conversations with people. <laughs> um, and we had one particular conversation that changed my whole perspective on what I needed to be doing with, with my life and my thoughts at the time. Um, it, was, it was a Facebook interaction to begin with. Um, you know how people were posting all kinds of opinions about everything that was happening in 2020. And one of the people that I was friends with and who, I wasn't super close, but he was super close with my family and he was super close in my church and he was part of church leadership. And he just posted something I thought, yeah, that's a little bit, you know, I don't know, over the, over the edge on some areas. And so I just sort of, I don't know, I'll put a little comment, a nice one. And he kind of came back at me. And then we got into more of a like, Let's talk about this a little bit further. I can't remember exactly what it was right now, but it was one of the social issues that was going on at the time. And so we were having a friendly conversation through text about this. Um, and like I said, I'd known the guy for like 10 years. Um, and so I, we were part of the same church family. 
And we got to talking, and we talked for a really, really long time, and we kind of randomly went through all kinds of different um, just issues. And I started to go, what is wrong with this conversation? Something is off, because we believe the same things. But he is coming at some things from some totally different angles than I was expecting. And so I started to kind of ask him other questions. And um, I was like, what do you mean by this? Because he was using Christian church language that I agreed with. And I kept agreeing with him and then totally disagreeing with him. And we were going back and forth, and I couldn't figure it out. <laughs> I was like, why are we having this conversation? And so I finally asked him the pertinent question. I said, well, who are you listening to? Like, who, who are you getting this information from that you're telling me? Because I, I don't hear that in my circles. And so he started listing off all these people that he followed or he, oh, I don't know, whatever it was that he was doing, podcasts, books, you know, stuff like that. And I'd heard of several of them and it wasn't anything really all that new, but I started to kind of just research a little bit and I started to kind of dig into what are people saying about all these things? And I found that though we were saying the same things, our words were the same, we did not mean the same thing um, as far as the Christian language that we were using. So it kind of started me down a path because actually that um, the entire thing blew up and a lot of things changed because of those particular issues in our, in our circle of, of people. Um, and it was actually pretty devastating to a lot of relationships. And so I started to say, well, I, need to, I need to know more. So I started to dig into what is going on in our world? Why is this different from what I've been hearing? And why don't other people in the church know this? Um, and um, I've, I've spent the last three years doing this. <laughs> and it's been fun for me in a lot of ways because I like to learn, but it's also been really, really relevant. And one of the things that, it's all about our culture, really. Um, so I was, when Debbie asked me to share something, I thought, gosh, I've just gone through Colson Fellows. There are so many topics that I could talk about that I'm really passionate about. But what I want to do today is just give you an overview of why it, is, it even matters to us in the church. Um, one point I do want to make, and this is just... Um, maybe a little bit over the top, I don't know, is that having grown up in a spirit-filled, charismatic background, um, the way that I have, and the way probably some of you guys have, I don't know, um, we get really distracted in some ways in the sense that we like to learn about the spiritual gifts, and we like to learn about the supernatural, and we like to learn about worship. And those are kind of the three things that we like to circle around a lot, which is fine. They're all good things. Um, what we don't often do is reach outside our bubble. Um, we don't listen to people who are also Christians, but maybe they're in a different denominational background. We don't listen to people who are biblically accurate, but maybe aren't talking about things we're interested in, in those areas, as just spirit-filled kind of culture. And that is something I think is really devastating to our, our, our community because we don't hear things. We don't hear things that we should be listening to. Um, and I think it's incredibly important for people in the spirit-filled charismatic church to you know, branch out a little bit, branch out to what we're hearing, what we're saying, not necessarily to people who disagree with us biblically, but who agree there, but maybe come from a different background and have some information we don't have or that we're not just tuned into. Um, so some of the stuff I'm going to share today is from a book called Practical Guide to Culture by John Stone Street. So John Stone Street is the CEO of the uh, Colson Center for Worldview. Um, it was started by Chuck Colson, who was, he also started Prison Fellowship. He was actually involved, and went, he went to prison because of Watergate. He was involved with Nixon and Watergate and all that sort of thing. And he got saved, and he got transformed in that process, and he has a big, um, a, a great ministry. I mean, he's not here anymore, but, so John Stone Street does um, his, his stuff there. He is amazing. If you ever want to follow somebody who's kind of just interesting about all kinds of stuff, super smart guy. Um, and then Brett Kunkel, he's the founder of Maven, which is a ministry equipping young adults to go out and share their faith um, 
and be equipped to do that. So they wrote this, and they actually kind of wrote it for parents, but it's also relevant for anybody who wants to understand what's going on and just know how to, to operate within it. So um, if you'll go to the next one, Beth. Oops. Okay, so this was one of my favorite quotes from the, uh, from the book. Um, this is from T.S. Eliot, and um, I used to read T.S. Eliot a little bit because I was an English major, but he had some interesting thoughts on Christianity as well. And so this one is, the problem with leading a Christian life in a non-Christian society is now very present to us. And as for the Christian who is not conscious of his dilemma, and he is in the majority, he is becoming more and more de-Christianized by all sorts of unconscious pressure. Paganism holds all the most valuable advertising space. Um, now, he was, he's not like current, you know, D.S. Eliot lived earlier in the century, um, but he saw the problem really clearly, in my opinion. Um, and it is true that we don't recognize the dilemma that we face. We are living a Christian life in a very non-Christian world, which we know in our heads, but we don't necessarily think about it because we just live here. This is just where we are. And so when you're not conscious that that's your dilemma and that you aren't necessarily intentionally doing anything about that, either we're getting in a bubble and just living in our own little life, or we're going out there and kind of just blending in with the world, either one, um, you're going to start becoming de-Christianized without realizing it. And that's kind of what we're talking about today, is that we don't even realize when we're slipping on some things. I don't realize. I mean, there were a lot of things that when I started to examine myself and my own ideas, I thought, I don't even think I thought about this. Something I learned in college or something that I just picked up along the way as I'm talking to people. And I don't even realize that I'm going off the path, you know, because it's just culturally relevant. It's normal to me. Um, and that's been, that's been a really interesting experience for the last three years. Um, and it's true, paganism holds all that, the most valuable advertising space. You know, your entire internet is held by non-Christian for the most part. I mean, obviously there's Christian pieces of the internet, but it's not usually most of it. And we don't even realize all the stuff that's coming at us. Um, can you go to the next one? Okay, so we're gonna talk a little bit about culture and how it does affect us. So it is the environment we live in and we think is normal. It's kind of, that's why I call this the air we breathe because we don't think about the air we breathe. We're just breathing it, right? Um, and John Stone Street, he actually uses a different analogy. He says, if you want to know what water is, don't ask the fish, um, <laughs> which I think is pretty brilliant because it's true. Fish don't think about the water, they just live in it, right? We don't think about our culture, we just live in it. Um, and when we say culture, and we're gonna talk about this in just a minute, in church, language. Culture often means just bad stuff out there. Um, but that's not really what we mean. We just mean whatever it is our environment is. And so to de define that is a very important thing. It's not all just the bad parts of culture. It's the good parts too. It's just what we live in. So it shapes our perception of reality. Um, actually, that's a really interesting topic right now anyway, because actually a lot of our culture is starting to question what reality actually even is. Um, I just read an article yesterday in Psychology Today, and it was like, is anything really real? You know, <laughs> is it all part of your brain? You know, all this kind of stuff. And that's a real question. That's actually a real conversation that's out there that is beginning to make a lot of people question stuff. So it's the reality, it shapes our perception of reality. Um, and another thing that's really important is to know the difference between reacting to a particular expression of culture. Um, reacting to a specific expression of our culture is not the same as being fully aware of the cultural forces that impact your life. So for example, you might have a, a cultural like hot topic that you're very passionate about, you know, whether it's like abortion or whatever it is, you might be like, that's wrong, that's culturally something that's going on, that's a bad part of culture, I care. You know, you might really be aware of that, but you might not be aware 
that you're flowing with parts of the, the undercurrent that is causing that particular cultural expression. And so those, those are not the same. Being activist or being like, you know, advocating for something that you believe in is not the same as being completely aware and thinking about all these cultural forces. And that's kind of what we want to talk about today, is not just getting on some bandwagon, even a good one, and then doing something about it, although you should, <laughs> but really ex examining what do you believe is normal? What do you believe is good? And why do you believe that? Is it based on anything except what you just kind of picked up accidentally? All right, next one. C.S. Lewis, obviously one of the most bigger, you know, bigger names in the philosophical Christian world, one of my favorites, and he says that the most dangerous ideas in a society are not the ones being argued, but the ones that are assumed. And I think that's where we need to talk about too. What do you assume is the right kind of thing? What do I assume is the right kind of thing? I'm still sorting through some of those things. All right, the next one. Okay, so um, the, 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 the markers of any culture, and culture changes, it's dynamic, it never stays the same. It's gonna keep morphing into something else over time. Um, but the way that we value human life and human dignity is that's a marker of whether your, your culture is healthy or not. Um, and if you kind of look at any culture, ours in the modern times, somebody else's across the world, um, in history, if you look at how human life and dignity is valued and treated, that's how you'll know whether it's a healthy culture or not. Um, and so you have to be intentional about these kinds of things. Um, you can't just float through and not think about them. Um, we look back in history a lot of times and we see like, okay, let's take for example, Hitler and the Holocaust. And we're like, that was terrible. Why did these people allow this? You know, and we have this idea in our heads that we would have been on the right side of history, um, that, that we would have chosen correctly during that time. And we don't actually know that. We might have, you know, but we, we might have gone with the flow of culture not realizing where it was leading us. Um, and so we, in our time, have a lot of chronological snobbery, which is, I think C.S. Lewis is one that kind of coins that idea. It's chronological snobbery because we think we would do the right thing back then. But do we know that we would do the right thing right now? You know, we don't know that. Um, we would like to think that. But our culture is really big on that, actually. We're like, be on the right side of history in this area, this area, this area. Well, until you've examined what's really true and what is really not and thought about how that affects all these little things in your life, then you don't know if you would do that or not. Um, are we practiced at living righteous lives on a regular basis? I mean, not most of us, actually. <laughs> Myself included. I just had that conversation yesterday with my husband. I said, are we actually dying to ourselves daily and living righteous lives? Probably not. <laughs> you know, so that's kind of a, that's a factor. It's those little decisions that we make, but we don't even think about them because we just, it's normal. It's normal stuff. All right, um, so being intentional, part of what this is about and part of what my entire goal in life right now is about is to equip the next generation, which is you guys and little kids coming up behind you and people my age, actually. Um, that's not the next generation. But to equip everybody to live well in the culture we live in. One of the things that's a problem that I see out there right now is that adults, especially adults in the church, but even outside, we tend to be like, oh my gosh, the world is just going downhill, culture's so bad, everything's, because it's flipped really quickly for some of us um, from what we experienced when we were younger. And so we have this tendency to be like, look at what's happening, this is bad because, this is bad because, this is bad because. And it is, I'm not saying that's not true, it is absolutely true. Um, but we tend to focus on those hot topics, you know, like, you know, I don't know, whether it's, you know, gender and sexuality or abortion or trafficking or whatever it is, we tend to traffic, you know, we tend to look at those things and we're like, this is terrible. 
And the message that I think is going out there is this is just terrible. This time is terrible. Why do we even live now? I wish we could go back to the old days. And that's not a healthy way to look at anything because the good old days were not good old days to the people who lived there, you know? And so we're just living in the time that we live in. And yes, it's gotten, it's de-Christianized quite a bit over, over time, but it's our cultural moment. This is your cultural moment. It's where you live. This is where we were designed to be. God put us here during this time. So the question is not, how can I get away from this? The question is, how can I engage this? And how can I know how to live well in this time? Um, and so that's kind of what we need to think about as we're going through all these ideas. Um, so being intentional means a lot of different things. First of all, you do have to be aware that just because you care about a hot topic does not mean you're under, understanding the cultural undercurrents that are, that are, that are supporting those. Um, and this is going to be said several times because it's really just, I'm really just going over the first two chapters of this book a little bit. There's a lot more on it. But he goes over a lot of times about the fact that culture is, its greatest influence is what it presents as normal. It's normal to you. It's normal to me. Um, I was in Germany a few weeks back because my daughter lives there with her German husband and my first grandbaby who was across the ocean. Um, so I was there so that I could be there for the baby's birth. And I've never been to Germany before. Um, I've actually never wanted to go to Germany particularly. It's not one of those countries I've been like, woo, bucket list. Um, and I also wasn't in a fun part of Germany. Um, I didn't get to go see castles and stuff like that. She lives in a kind of boring town. It's called Bremen. Um, it's medieval, there was a cathedral, got to go see that. But otherwise, I was just living among the Germans. I don't speak German either, and so there were a lot of things that my daughter, who's lived there for a while, she speaks German fluently, and so there were just things that I didn't know. You know, there, some of them are European, I've never been to Europe either. Um, so for example, we went the first day, the first week, I had to go pick some things up at like the drugstore. And so she took me over there, we rode a bus and took a train and did all these things that I don't usually do in my life, I just get in the car. Um, and we were shopping and I got all this stuff and I put it on the counter and I like put it in the little basket thing. And so my daughter starts like taking everything out and they run the things and I'm trying to pay with this foreign money. And um, then I'm looking and I'm like, nobody's, how am I gonna carry this stuff out? Because there's no bags, they don't bag anything for you. You have to pick up like your own stuff. And I didn't think about that because it was not part of my cultural way of living. And so we had to stuff everything into our purses and that didn't all fit, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so there was things like that also, they ride bicycles everywhere. That's just part of their mode of transportation. I think that's great, but I don't know where the bike paths are. So I'm walking along and my daughter keeps like yanking me out of death's way because somebody's coming behind me. I'm in the bike path and I didn't realize it because it's not really clearly marked. It's like different colored bricks. They kind of look the same to me. Um, and nobody told me, hey, this is the bike path and this is the, the walking path. Um, so I'm just, I wander anyway, even if I did know that I probably would have wandered into it just because I wander while I'm walking. So I kept having this moment of, you know, someone was coming up behind me and I didn't hear them and they just about mow me over on a bike because I'm the one that has to move. They're not gonna move, I have to move, <laughs> even though they're behind me and I didn't see them. And so this was a cultural thing that um, I didn't know. I mean, I just didn't know that, but to them, they thought, well, you should know that. I mean, that's pretty much the Germans' idea about a lot of things is you should know that. Um, and it's true. I'm a visitor in their country. I probably should have you know, brushed up on that a little bit. Um, so cultural things like that, um, if you aren't familiar with those, then you, you are stumbling all the time. But if you are familiar with it, you don't even think about it. They were going to mow me over because they figured I knew to move, right? Because um, it's just part of, their, it's part of their lifestyle. So what, it, what culture presents as normal is what we really do think is normal. I don't think it's normal to mow people over with a bicycle, but they do. Um, and so it's just kind of what they, what they know to be true. What is left unexamined 
in our lives is what is also left unchallenged. And that's something that we don't think about very often either. If you don't take time to examine a particular idea that you may hold because it's so normal to you, you didn't think you needed to examine it, then you're not going to challenge that idea. And when someone else comes and challenges that idea, unless you know the reasons that you think that, you could be really confused about your life. That's actually what's happening all the time in the church right now because deconstruction's a big, big thing um, in the church. Deconstructing your faith because you were never challenged in that idea. You never thought about why you believed that thing. Um, it was a church culture. That's another thing to think about. We have the secular culture that's informing us about a lot of things, but we also have church culture. And it's not bad, but we should be examining why we believe what we do believe. Because if we don't really believe that and we don't know why, then when someone else comes and challenges us, what do we have to offer? Um, that was actually why I got into this, because my friend kept challenging me on things that I did believe to be true, and I knew there were answers. But nobody had ever challenged me on them, so I didn't have them right at the tip of my tongue. And I had to go look. I had to go start looking and seeing, why is he saying these kinds of things? Um, and why do I disagree with him? I got to go find out. Um, so examining all of our lives and what we think is, is normal is part of this deal. All right, we can go to the next one. Okay, so we touched on this a little bit when I was talking about like how older people like myself and other people like to talk about culture. But what it is and what it is not is something that's very important to take a moment to look at. What it is is what people do with the world that we live in, all right? So it's not people themselves. It's not the actual people. That's not the culture. They're living in it. It's what they do. Um, the word culture actually comes from the Latin word, I think it's cultura, and it's from agriculture, of all things. Like, I don't think of culture as being about plowing and tilling and stuff like that, but it is. That's actually where it came from. And if you think about that, that makes a lot of sense because you're cultivating something. Obviously, that word came from the same thing. Um, and it eventually came down to the word cult, which we think of as a weird religious belief, right? Um, but actually the word cult originally just meant a group of people who believe something particular. And so that's how it became a religious idea is that it's a group of people who they live according to certain religious beliefs or just regular beliefs. And so our culture is religious in nature to, us, to an extent because it's a set of beliefs that we, you know, that we follow, whether they're you know, technically religious or whether they're secular, it's still a set of beliefs that we follow and we're in a group of people who do that. Um, so American culture is its own cult of sorts. Um, just not the way that we use the word. Um, so it's the reflection of the belief system of the group. Um, and like I said before, it's not always the bad stuff. Sometimes it's really good stuff. Sometimes it's neutral. It's just kind of the way people live. There's no really good or bad about it. Um, so that's one thing that we need to be very aware of as we begin to talk about these things, um, is that you're not judging the people who are outside of your belief system. You're simply examining things and talking with yourself and with other people it's easy to conflate people with the ideas that they hold. And that's something we need to avoid doing. It's not the people themselves, although they may be practicing evil things or they may be believing evil things or whatever. It's their beliefs and it's the way that they're doing things that we need to address because that's the culture. It's what people do with the world around them. We create culture. God made us to do that. He gave us the world to have stewardship over. So we create this culture ourselves. All humans do. From the day one in history, we've been creating a culture for ourselves to live in. Um, we like art and we like to do, you know, plant and till and have food and we, we, we like to do those kinds of things, all humans do. And so it's what we do with the world that creates the culture we live in. Americans, we like independence. Lots of stuff is about us being free to do whatever we want to do. That's part of our culture. It's not a bad thing or a good thing, it's what you do with that. Um, all right, next one. 
All right, this one, I mean, it's just going back to the same point, but I put it on here a couple of times because the power of what we experience as normal cannot be overstated. You have to say, what's normal to me? Why is that normal to me? Should it be normal to me? Those are the questions we're gonna keep talking about. All right, next one. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, how culture can shape us. John Stone Street actually uses the word catechize us. Um, so like as if you were in a more traditional church setting where you would do catechism and do the like question and answer, um, you know, who is God, God is this, that's a catechism. Um, and you learn it as a child, and you learn it as a child so you just, you know question and answers. If somebody says to you, who is God, you have an answer. And that's what the church has traditionally done throughout history to teach their children how to understand things, is they've, that they've done catechism. Well, culture has a catechism of its own. It, it teaches us in small little bits like that. And so there are different ways that we are catechized or shaped by culture. And in the end, what it's doing is it's forming us in its own image, the culture that we live in. And we don't realize that. Now, of course, we're supposed to be conformed to God's image, but we don't even take time to think about whether that's you know, varying from what our culture is doing to us. So that's what we're gonna talk about just a little bit. If you'll go to the next one. Okay, so the main idea is that we absorb the ideas of our culture unconsciously. And that's, that's true of all of us. Um, and so that's, that's fine as long as the ideas are good ones, but ideas have consequences. That's one of those big, you know, everybody learns that in college kind of thing. Ideas have consequences. Bad ideas have consequences and victims that go along with them. So if you are following unconsciously without having examined it, you are following an idea and just falling in line with it that's a bad idea, then there will be bad consequences for you and for everybody else in your life who is having downstream of you. Um, and then there will be victims of those bad ideas that you may not have intended to happen in your life, but there really will be. Um, our society is really full of those victims right now because we have bad ideas that we've allowed in our culture. Um, I've been doing a little bit of reading about children's rights right now. Um, really great resource, by the way. It's, called, it's an organization called Them Before Us. If you care about kids and their natural rights to all kinds of things, you should follow them because she, she's an advocate for children in every circumstance. And so she, she goes through a lot of different things that are destroying children, and it's evident in our society. And probably all of us have been a part of this in one way or another, so she, she has a lot of them. But one of the things she talks about is that when we decided as a nation that no-fault divorce was okay, not talking about like abuse or bad, you know, other things going on, but like you just didn't, decided you didn't like each other anymore. That's when it began to have victims of all these children who are deprived of one of their parents in one way or another. And she goes into a lot I won't go into today, but she begins to talk about the victims of a bad idea. We all embrace that. We kind of think that's normal now. Like we walk around and, you know, all kinds of people have divorces and, and we're not judging them, but there was a policy set in place because we said we're going to make this okay that it's normal and it's not okay for the kids in the end. And we have a whole bunch of things that came out of that that was the consequence of a bad idea. It was a bad consequence for a bad idea, and there are victims walking around everywhere. You know, you might be one of them, you might be friends with one of them. I know a million. Um, and so that's kind of one of those ideas, is that people were like, it's no big deal, we just wanna make it comfortable for people. Well, that's, you know, you wanna care about the people in your life, and if maybe something's going on with them, you don't let the adults' feelings rule what's good for the kids. You put them before you, you know, before the adults. And so that's a policy that came through as an idea that someone had, somebody was advocating for this, and it has consequences. But did we think about those things? Some people did, but as a nation, we didn't. As a nation, we were like, oh, that just kind of works, okay. And so we, we went ahead and put it into law. All right, so 
um, lots of ideas have bad consequences. We could go on a with a million of them today, but we won't because this is just kind of the big, the big picture kind of thing. All right, the next one. So how do these ideas spread through culture so that we can absorb them? Well, first of all, you have to have champions in your culture, all right? There are champions of particular ideas that are out there. Some of them are philosophers and academics. Those are the ones you kind of think about, like, you know, oh, Darwin and his evolutionary theory, or, you know, I don't know, all these different people who have ideas that are out there in academia. Um, so they do actually influence things because they're part of our education system. So if you've ever been to school, ever in your life, you probably absorbed some bad ideas from some bad philosophers, as well as some good ideas from some good philosophers. Um, academics rule a lot of things downstream, um, because if you ever go to university, you're going to hear these ideas. Um, as I said in the beginning, when I started to examine some things in my own life, as an English major, I love literature, I love all this stuff. There's a lot of things that I absorbed through that time in college that I, didn't, I never even thought that might be an anti-Christian idea because it wasn't overtly so. But if you look at the downstream consequences, it really is. And I was like, my goodness, I've even taught this kind of thing before without thinking about it to other people, you know? And now I'm going, maybe I should have examined that ideal just a little bit more. So obviously the philosophers and the academics, but more commonly we are influenced by the champions, artists, you know, whether that's books or you know, visual arts or music or whatever, artists of any kind, those are the champions of ideas. Often, like myself, they weren't even aware of what they were championing. They just believed it and it came out in their art, right? And then we absorbed it in through consuming that art. Um, storytellers, books and movies. Um, we don't take into account what movies are telling us a lot of times. Um, we can point out that's a bad movie because it has this anti-Christian thing in it. And then we all like ban it. And we're like, I'm not going to watch that movie. But we don't think about the ones that are just regular movies for us or, or, or books. I'm a, I'm a big reader, so I have to be really careful because I like good writing. And sometimes the good writing draws me more than the actual content <laughs> that they're saying to me. And sometimes the Lord really convicts me. Sometimes I'll be reading a great book and I'm like, I love this. It's so good. And the Lord's like, that's not a good idea. <laughs> sometimes I'm like, I don't want to stop reading it. But I have to because that's what he told me to do. Um, and so storytellers, and people tell stories through the news, they tell stories through songs, they tell stories through movies and books, and they tell you stories through their personal experiences, which are valid, but not necessarily part of the bigger truth. Um, so we hear stories all the time, and the more you hear stories about a particular idea, the more you believe it. Stories are the most powerful. It's one of the most powerful influences out there. So maybe you're on some kind of... Um, page online where there's a topic that's going on, people sharing their personal stories. That's actually how the deconstruction thing is happening. It's because people are like, I grew up in a church that was like this and I hated it and it was terrible and this happened and so now I'm deconstructing, here's my story. And then 500 other people come tell their stories and suddenly it seems like a really normal thing to do this particular action in response to this particular background. In fact, not that you, I mean, I actually believe very strongly in examining your faith and why you believe what you believe, but it doesn't have to end in deconstruction just because your background was my dad was a pastor who was a rotten guy, you know, or whatever it happened to be. But there are stories and they add up. They start to add up and add up and add up. And you believe that this is true. Every time this happens, this is true. And you don't hear somebody else's stories, you know, because they're not being platformed. So storytelling happens in a lot of different places. And you have to be wise enough to kind of start to curate that and say, 
well, is that true across the board? Is that statistically true that this has to be the result? Should I be thinking in these ways? Biblically speaking, if I go back to the Bible, is that how it always has to turn out? Or was there another option in this case? So those are the kind of things to think about. Educators, obviously, entrepreneurs, business people, they are also storytellers because advertising is all about telling their brand story, right? And, they, and whatever their business is, often there's a reason they got into that business and they're going to tell you that it may, it may be based on a great idea, it may be based on a horrible idea. It just depends. And so these are the champions of the ideas that we're absorbing through our culture, is all of these people. You might be one of those people. So if, what are you championing? And that's kind of one of those things we need to talk about too is, you know, in the same way that I was championing, championing some ideas I had not examined when I was teaching early on in my career, well, I didn't think about that. So I need to think about what ideas I'm absorbing and then also what I'm, I'm putting out for other people to absorb, especially people who may not have had time to go through all this yet or even like need, know their need to go through these things. Because people accept what you say at face value a lot of times, especially if you're in a position of any kind of influence at all, um, whether that's you're a teacher, you're a parent, or you're just on social media posting stuff, you have influence over somebody. And so what, are you, what ideas are you promoting? All right, the next one. Okay, so ideas are communicated through artifacts, just like they're the champions, they produce artifacts. Um, songs, books, classes, movies. And so when you consume any of that, you are absorbing ideas. Um, so anything that you're consuming, you need to be, have your radar up. What's the idea that they're, they're trying to say here? It's actually kind of fun when you start to do this, you start to see threads that are running through certain things and you're like, ah, I see, you're championing this idea and I never even thought about that before. So when you are consuming anything at all, that's one of the things to think about. And then the next one. All right, and then they are maintained and perpetuated through institutions. Somebody champions it, somebody produces artifacts, and then those ideas keep going because then the institutions get involved, churches get involved. Um, one of the most interesting phenomenons to me is the church culture and the platforming that we do. Um, I have a mixed feeling about it. Sometimes I love it and sometimes I really think it's a bad idea. <laughs> um, but church culture, we have our own social media, we have our own music, we have our own books, we have our own movies and that sort of thing. And so we maintain and perpetuate our own culture. That's not bad, that's actually really good if we're doing the right ones. But as you all know, church doesn't agree on what's good sometimes. And so what you consume with a Christian label should be examined because one of, the, one of my big pet peeves about parenting is that as a, as a church body, and I'm talking about the, the big church, not just here or whatever, um, is that we slap a Christian label on something and everybody gives it to their kids. They're just like, this is great, it's Christian. The people who made this are Christian, have this. Whether or not it's good ideas, whether or not the people behind it are any kind of righteous people at all, or whether or not it's well done. And so that's something I think we should be examining. And you know, when we have kids and we say, this is a good, because some people are falling off their faith right now because they followed somebody their parents said was a good Christian person and that person lost their faith and now yours is shaken. And so, for example, um, one of the people I was talking to earlier on in this experience was quoting to me um, some, I don't remember what it was about, but I disagreed with it. And I said, well, where are you getting a bad idea? And she said, oh, uh, you should read the blog. It's Phil Vischer, the VeggieTales guy. Um, you know, he's one of the creators of VeggieTales, and he has some ideas I don't agree with, and he's out there promoting them. And so I said, oh man, the VeggieTales guy, really, I love VeggieTales. And um, so, but people grew up watching that, they love it, he's somebody that's an influence in people's lives. I think he probably changed his mind over time, whatever, but you still have influence from that person. Whatever you put your kids in front of, that's what they're gonna believe. If you say that's a good Christian guy, 
and you never examine later whether he was in the first place or whether he is now, they still believe because their kids may trust you. Um, and you do it to yourself too. We do that to ourselves. We're like, and that's why we're so disappointed when some big Christian person falls. We're so disappointed. I'm like, they're humans. We can't follow them. <laughs> you know, we have to follow Jesus. We can't follow the Christian labels. So that's part of this too, is the institution of the church. Examine what they are platforming and find out if it's really good or not. They might not be purposely platforming something bad, but think about it for yourself before you just swallow it because the church said it was good. Um, Family is the same thing. Your family has a culture of its own. Every family has its own culture. And so um, in my family, it's kind of a weird one sometimes. We have some odd things about ourselves, but we, we like to do certain things. We consume certain things. Um, what your family does is the A number one thing that you think is normal. Um, so however you grew up, whatever your family culture was, whether it was good, bad, odd, normal, whatever, you think that culture is normal until you get out in the world. And then sometimes you start to go, was my family normal? Probably not. Um, <laughs> and so that's something that you have to think about too, because family is a good cultural transmitter. It should be. That's how we're designed to be. We shouldn't be looking around for all this other stuff. Our family is the, the primary place kids should be getting their culture. But as a family, you need to think about what that is. Like I sometimes... Um, <laughs> I've, I've had a situation where a child came to me once and we were looking at some, some books and she, she pulls out a book that was in the adult section and she says, my mom reads these books, maybe I should read them. And I looked at them and I was like, you do not need to read that book, you're 12 years old, that is a terrible choice for you. And I know her mom and she's a Christian person, but she was reading something maybe that the 12 year old should not be reading. But the girl thought because mom was reading it, it was probably okay. You know, she, she, mom didn't give it to her to read. She just saw her reading it and thought, well, mom would make a good choice. So that's probably a good choice for me. And so those are the kind of decisions we have to make that we need to think about, especially as we're raising families. Think about that with your kids. If you're reading something that's maybe a little off color and it's a guilty pleasure for you in some way, your kids see you reading that and they're like, mom's a, or dad's a righteous person. That's probably okay for me to read too. It matters. It matters what you do. You have influence. Um, government, obviously, is an institution that promotes culture of one sort. They legislate our culture, um, and they promote it. So whatever is, um, politics is downstream of culture, is what um, John Stone Street says a lot, and it's true. We like to think that getting involved politically is the, the A number one way to make change, and we do need to have some change in those places. Obviously, you should be somewhat involved voting and stuff like that. But politics is downstream. That's what is affected by our culture. When the culture changes, that eventually works its way through to government. And so that's not where it starts. We don't start with politics. We start with what our beliefs are as culture because politics is downstream of that. If we want our government to change, we better start changing our culture because they're just going to follow what our culture is and legislate that. That's how that works. When we began our country, it looked one way because the people's culture was different from ours. Now our government's changing. Politics is becoming messy. It's always messy, any culture you're in. <laughs> but, um, but politics right now is so messy because our culture is so messy. It's just reflective. Um, and so the people who are doing government are under pressure from the people in the culture saying, we want you to do this. And so they do it because that's what they do. Um, and then schools, obviously schools promote a lot of things, good and bad. So those are the institutions that maintain and perpetuate what we, what we, our culture is doing. All right, next one. Okay, so we're creatures of cultural habit. Humans are habitual creatures. We like to stay in the same, you know, kind of method of doing things. I'm a super habit-based person. I don't like to rock my habits, but we are like that in our culture too. It's really difficult to make decisions to change something that you are culturally habituated to. Um, it's uncomfortable. 
It is, it almost feels like you're, you know, doing something stupid in order to change these things because everybody else around you thinks that's really odd when you change it. Um, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor and he had actually not grown up as a Christian. He had gotten saved later in his life. And he kind of was one of those guys that went like full on, I'm changing my whole lifestyle. We're going to go way to the opposite end of like, you know, secular living. And we're going to be like super, um, sheltered and all this kind of stuff in the beginning. He, he, he mellowed out after a while. But um, he was not raised knowing these things. So he had to go way to the opposite side to start somewhere. And one of the things that the Lord told him when we were kids, he was just a normal guy. He watched TV like everybody else, you know, and so we would watch TV in the evenings together or whatever, shows in the 80s. Um, and uh, so at some point, the Lord told my dad, get rid of your TV out of your family. And he didn't want to because he likes to watch TV. And that's how he grew up. That's what you do when you relax, right? And so he didn't do it for like a really long time. He just kept saying, nah, I think I want to watch TV. It's just, it's just good shows. It's no big deal. Well, eventually our TV broke, like for no reason whatsoever. And he is banging on it, trying to get the stuff to work. Finally, he's like, this is a junk TV. So he puts it out on the curb and he's like, I guess... Maybe God wanted me to get rid of the TV. So he puts it on the curb and somebody from our church comes by and says, hey, can I take that? I want to tinker with it and see if I can get it to work. God takes it home, turns it on, it works just fine. And so my dad took that as a sign, like we should not have a TV in our house. And um, so we didn't for a very long time. And my grandmother, his mother, who was a wonderful, sweet, godly lady, but she thought he was crazy. She thought we were going to grow up to be really weird kids because we didn't watch the right shows and the right stuff. And she was like, Kenny, you have to let them watch TV. They're going to be weird, you know, and uh, it might have been true. But, um, <laughs> but we grew up for several years without a television in our house. And so that changed the habits in our family. Instead of coming home and my dad kicking up his feet and watching some TV and all of us going in the room and kind of halfway watching with him while we're playing with our toys. Instead of that, we had to do something else because it was boring. And um, so eventually my mom started reading books out loud to us because what else if she would have done that anyway, but um, she just used that time that way. Well, then that changed something for us as kids because we would go to school and people would be like, did you watch whatever, whatever last night? And eventually it became like, you know, Beverly Hills 90210 and everybody watched that. And there was like, did you hear what that character did? I don't even know who your characters are. You know, that made me a weird kid. It actually really did. And um, I had to cover for that sometimes. I'd be like, who's this person again? Um, <laughs> pick it up from everybody. Um, but it was okay because we be began to develop a different cultural habit. And so that tiny little decision, which probably wouldn't have been a huge deal, became a big decision in our family. And eventually we brought a TV back and we watched other things. But when we were being formed in those places, we weren't watching commercials for the things we wanted anymore. I no longer had to have a Cabbage Patch doll like everybody else did because I didn't see it all the time. Um, and so that changed a cultural habit. But it's really hard to break those habits, especially if we enjoy them. Um, and so examining what's normal to us is a big deal. And if the Lord puts something on your heart to do, don't take it lightly. Just say, okay, that might be really weird and super uncomfortable for me to do. I might have to pull off this or I might have to walk away from this because, and it's not, the, and you don't have to go around preaching to other people that this is bad. You know, we didn't have to go around saying TV is bad. You should not watch that, you ungodly people. You know, that wasn't the point. The point was for him and for us as a family, it was a habit the Lord wanted us to change. It was a cultural habit. And it wasn't easy for an adult to change that habit. For us kids, it was like, whatever, after we got used to it, it was fine. Um, but for my dad, who grew up, that was his relaxation time, it was a hard habit to change. And so we have to be willing to be open to those kinds of things because you don't know what's coming through these. Because my kids didn't get phones until they were much older because we didn't allow it. So they are actually better prepared and better at staying off their phones and interacting than I am. Because I got a phone 
actually kind of late when smartphones came out. We, we resisted for a little while. But then we actually got them, and I am the worst offender in my house because I am constantly, either I'm looking at text, which I mean sometimes you have to answer stuff, but I actually just go down a lot. I like to read, and instead of reading books now, I'm really guilty of just getting on the internet and just like reading whatever I feel like reading at the moment. I was just telling Beth and Debbie that I went down a rabbit hole this week of just researching something completely irrelevant to life. And <laughs> I started getting on these Facebook communities and I got really pulled into it. And I was like, what am I even doing? I don't even know how much time I've spent looking at this stupid thing right over here. And so actually it's one of those things I'm really working with with the Lord right now myself because I am just as addicted to that as anybody else in the world. Um, and so that's actually something that is a cultural habit that I'm working to break. But it actually is difficult because I do actually need to answer things and I do actually do a lot of work on my phone and things like that. So having it with me is pretty important. But while I'm answering, while I'm doing things, then I'll just pull up whatever thing that I'm researching at the moment and I just go down those holes. Um, and so then I find that I, here was my 17-year-old trying to talk to me about something and I, I was like, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then I, I finally realized he was sitting there looking at me without a phone in his hand because he's doing the good thing. Um, <laughs> and I'm just like, you know, completely distracted. So those are cultural habits that we have to just examine. It's actually not an easy thing. And so that's something you would have to work out with the Lord. How are you going to change? And if that's what he wants you to change right now, it's your habits and it's your stuff that you need to be aware of um, how to do that. And so we'll go really quickly. I think I'm almost done with my slides. So I'm actually going to kind of wrap up what I was talking about today because that's enough for one day. But if you're interested in that book or any of the other resources that I have, the next part of this, because this is talking about like just culture in general, but really the rest of the book goes into specifics. And one of the big things they talk about is Christianity is not escapist. We are not to live in a bubble. We are not to just like surround ourselves with our own people, only those people. And then, I mean, yes, you do need the fellowship with, with, with our people. You need your close relationships to be in the Christian world. But it's not an escapist religion. We're not supposed to just go off into the desert and have a commune somewhere. What are we made for? I mean, I would like to do that, actually. Um, <laughs> almost every day, I think, why can't I go live in a commune somewhere away from the world? Um, but the Lord won't let me do it. So um, here I am. Anyway, so Christianity is not escapist, and they go through in the book all these different topics, like all the topics, all those hot topics we talk about that everybody's talking about, this is wrong with, with our culture, and they go through and talk about like, how, do you, how can you think about these? How can you work through these as a young adult, as a parent, as a kid, whatever? And it's, very, it's a very basic overview, but it's really full of wisdom. And so if you're interested in that book, that's kind of what comes next as he goes through different ways that we are to engage in our world, not try to get away from it. So I wanted to leave you with one more thought because actually this, this place, this, this conversation goes a lot more places um, that are more valuable than just getting started on it. But the one that I wanted to leave everybody with today is um, what is your salvation for? Like what is the point of us becoming Christians in the first place? What's your salvation for? Why are we left here? What is that for? If you start to look at any topic, if, you, if any of these things come to your mind later and you think to yourself, like, for example, I was just reading about some marriage topics, and the question is, what is marriage for? What was it designed for? What is it for? What is your salvation for? What is your you know, purpose for? So those are, there's a lot of things that you, if, you, if you put that question to it, what is this for? That answers a lot of things if you start to think of things in those terms. So when you are thinking of there's a norm that you're thinking of and you're like, is this a good thing or is it a bad thing? Well, what is it for? What does it exist for? And that question will clarify a whole lot of things for you. Um, so it's just, a, it's just a handy question to ask yourself as you're pondering things. What is that for? And then how do I know that? And so I'm just gonna leave y'all with that. That was fun. Let's do it again sometime. We'll talk later.
Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.